Hello and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. A reminder that if you enjoy the show, please do consider supporting us through Buy Me A Coffee. It really helps us keep making the, the podcast. It's um, with my great pleasure that I'm, today I'm joined today by Madelon Hulsebooths, who will be telling us everything we need to know about Git tables, a large-scale corpus of relational tables. So Madelon is a PhD student at the Intelligent Data Engineering, or the Indie Lab, should I say, at uh, the University of Amsterdam. Madelon, welcome to the show. Hi, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Fantastic. So let's jump straight in then. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in data management or data engineering research? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so my name is Madeleine Hulsebos, indeed, and um, I'm from the Netherlands, actually, so I'm Dutch. And I started actually with a bachelor in like policy analysis, very different field, but also exciting, um, doing lots of simulations on data. Before I transitioned into computer science and really fell in love with that field. At first, during my master's at TU Delft, I, well, it was really when the hype around data science and machine learning really got started. I think this was back in 2016. And I decided to really focus on that. So after I graduated, I became a data scientist. Well, actually, not quite. I first did some research at the MIT Media Lab for half a year or something, which was really a great opportunity where I actually developed Sherlock, which is a, a machine learning model for semantic type detection in tables. And that's actually where my interest in this field started. But I thought, okay, I want to really make tools that are used in practice. So I thought, okay, what is a good opportunity? I really like data science. So let's see, you know, if, if if I can really do some kind of research job, but then uh, in industry as a data scientist. So I became a data scientist and then I realized that actually most of my time was spent on building data validation pipelines, data preparation pipelines and so on. And in the meantime, I really saw my work on semantic type detection actually get a lot of impact in, in practice as well. And people were very interested in this work. So that pulled me back into, into research. And that's where I started to focus more on data management research. And I think actually there's so much potential in the intersection of AI and data management. And I think we see the signs of that actually. Well, now since a year or something with the whole generative AI hype, of course, um, but there is so much potential when you apply this kind of technology to tables and databases in general. So I'm really excited about it and uh, to continue my research career. Fantastic. That's a great backstory there. It's like, yeah, you, right. You, you also see, I don't know, the the sort of, the, oh, I've seen it, the, sort of, the shift over the sort of last five years. And even in that conference proceedings of sort of like as ML and AI has started to make its way into sort of data management and all the 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 possible opportunities that are there for this sort of this sort of intersection of the two fields, which is which is which is great. Um cool. So let's let's talk about Git tables and so give us the elevator pitch for it. What is it? Why do we need it? Yeah, so um that ties into of course the story that I that I just told. So I think it is really important to unlock the value of the data that resides in databases through machine learning. And one thing that you need to train and use machine learning models is, of course, data. 
And that is actually what motivated the development of Gittables. So Gittables is a corpus of tables extracted from GitHub, in particular CSV files from GitHub, because you can find basically anything on there. Yeah, so we, of course, now have only a subset of tables extracted because there is a long, long, you know, pipeline um, to go through. But GitHub really, I think it stores now 90 million CSV files, which is huge. So our objective is, of course, to get them all out and make this a fruitful resource for machine learning in, in data management applications, but also data analysis, for example. So huge potential that we probably get into uh, later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of a few questions kind of fall out of that for me there. Is it only CSV files? Is it, is it, well, we could maybe touch on this later on maybe, but what about other types of files that are stored in, in GitHub? Is, it, is that something that you're kind of looking at bringing in as well? For now, I think, so my main focus is now on, on CSV files, but also because there are so many stored mm. on mm. GitHub. Of course, I check also, for example, um, like real spreadsheets, Excel files, and so on. But the scale is really smaller. Mm. Um, and I want to get like a corpus that is as big as possible to really make these machine learning models powerful. So that's why now we focus on, on CSV files. But you can find anything. And I think that's really you know, the potential that we show um, as a starting point. But it really depends on, on the interest of applications there. Sure, sure. So yeah, kind of on that then. So how does Git tables compare with what's already out there or maybe differ with what's already out there? Yeah, so our problem is that we, as I, as I mentioned before, we, we were working on this model Sherlock for semantic type detection on tables, basically mapping column to a real world concept. And that actually motivated, well, many people in, in use cases. So for example, people from Microsoft that wanted to integrate this, tech, this model into their tools. And one thing we noticed from the feedback is that people were clearly having different data. So that what we see in databases is very different from the data sets that were around and that we use to train Sherlock. This data was actually extracted. So these tables that we trained these models on were actually extracted from the web. So basically web pages and then tables presented on there. But you can imagine that these tables are much smaller and are very, very different from the kinds of tables that we find in databases. So a few aspects that make these data sets very different is one, they are much smaller, so tables on the web are much, much smaller. Um, but two, also the content is very different. So tables in CSV files or in other applications, they're typically very messy and they contain way more numeric data. So I think those are a few of the like selling points of Git tables, let's say, in, in context of, of other table corpora. And I think the semantics of, you know, what these tables really contain. So the meaning of this data is also very different. And that's also what we show in the paper, for example. Yeah, so so an example of that is that the most common attribute in tables um, is the ID type, as we call it. While in web tables, this is really not the, you know, 
not one of the most common um, types around. So I think that that clearly demonstrates the difference and complementary value of, of Git tables in, well, in relation to other data sets. Okay, cool then. So yeah, so obviously when you were going through this process of collecting all of this, all of these um, these tables out of out of GitHub, how did you approach them? What were your design ta- design principles you were looking for when you were going about designing Git tables? What was your guiding sort of philosophy with it? Yeah, we had some some very you know very clear um, criteria that we had in mind from the observations that we had on on other corporates. So one was we needed many tables to fuel machine learning models. So we needed scale. And second, we needed relevant semantics. So the type of data that you find in databases. And we needed also, so we needed kind of coverage. And then we also needed the semantics as in enrich these tables with metadata that we can use to actually learn machine learning in a supervised way. So we wanted to have kind of annotations on columns to, for example, enable um, type detection models. So just uh, on on the first principle there, um, the the scale. But you obviously want a lot of this, so it's useful to to machine to machine learning models. When, what is that tipping point? Like, when does it become useful? Like, how much data do you need before these these things actually, I guess, yeah, become useful? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I haven't really run a like an analysis of that, mm. but. What I went with for semantic type detection, for example, is that I wanted to have at least a thousand columns per type, but it really depends on the application, but also on, for example, now we have all kinds of like pre-trained models, right? So then you might get far with only, you know, a, a small data set of tables. And I think therefore with these million tables that we now have with Git tables, we might actually facilitate fine-tuning of pre-trained models as well, which have been trained on way more tables, perhaps from the web. So I think that's that's a good opportunity um, as well. But yeah, of course, we are really keen to get most of these tables out of there. Um, but it will be a hard task because GitHub can be really restrictive on the API and the load that it uh, allows. That's a nice little segue there into the next question. And so how did you actually go about creating this and walk us through the construction pipeline yeah so actually it's pretty basic so we just extract so our first goal is to extract as many csv files as possible and because github has all kinds of um, rate limit restrictions we had to segment our queries and we do so by adding an attribute on the file size so we only extract Files on a certain for a certain keyword, we always need to have a keyword, of course, to to search um, GitHub for uh, CSV files. And then, depending on whether a keyword appears in a CSV file, you you get the re- result. But as we also show in in the paper, if you look for I- CSV files with the term ID, you get 60 million CSV files already. And of course, you cannot just extract them all in one go. So I think GitHub only allows you to um, go through 1,000 items per time per query. So we we then segmented our queries based on the file size. So we first extracted you know, between 50 and, and 100 kilobytes, for example. So that was the first step. And then, well, when we have all those CSV files, which takes 
basically all, most of the time of the entire construction pipeline. From those CV files, we then have to parse them to tables. And that sounds pretty straightforward, but these CSV files are so messy and they follow so not the standards of CSV files that you have many comments, for example, on the first few lines, which is not as we <laughs> as we intended, right? So uh, we we implemented some heuristics to filter such cases out, but this will still be um, a challenge, an open challenge. And actually, Git tables is used now to also build better CSV parsers. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, we then parse the CSV files to, to tables with a basic uh, parser from Pandas. And then we also curate these, these tables based on whether they have PII data, so personal identifiable information. So for example, if, if we know that the table uh, contains personal data, then we fake some of these values. So for example, we, we fake the names or the addresses in a given table. And we also filter out tables that do not come from GitHub repositories with a license. So when we first released Git tables, we were actually, well, I think we had a slightly bad timing with the release of Copilot. And Copilot was trained on all code in GitHub, also code without like permissive licenses, but there was a lot of ethical concern around that, which is right, rightful, right? I think that's that's really good that we take these considerations. But um, we had some ethics review actually that's kind of restricted or well, kind of informed us to also filter out tables that didn't come from repositories with a proper license. So that reduced the the size of the corpus from one point six or 7 million to 1 million. And yeah, so that's that's one limb or well, one rule that we applied. And then we had our collection of, well, final tables, let's say. Um, and from there, we also annotated these tables as I suggested, uh, because we are interested in having column types. And we employed very basic type annotation methods, um, basically checking, column name, the similarity of the column name with the types in our ontology. So within our interest, and if there is like a syntactic match, then we annotated the column name with the type from schema.org or dppedia. And we also had like a an embedding-based approach where we embedded the column name and the types and then just calculated the cosine similarity. And based on that, we informed whether there is a match. So yeah, I think that's that concluded the the construction pipeline. Nice. So how how long did it how long did it take end to end to run this? If I just I don't know, run the full thing today, like how long are we talking? Yeah, uh, so it's actually months. You you yeah, it's very hard to get them all out. And that yeah. this is so you can only um run a few number of queries per per hour. Right, okay. So based on our segmentation, because we our objective is to get as much as many CSV files out there as mm -hmm. possible. So we just have very uh, high number of queries. I'm not sure what the number of queries is in total, but we have so many queries. Um, you know, it, it just takes months to get them out. 
Wow, yeah, it's very topical at the minute. I guess given Elon Musk's recent activity on Twitter, but with with rate limits, right? So it's uh, <laughs> it's at the forefront of everyone's sort of mind at the minute. But that, yeah, that's but in really the meantime, cool. I think Microsoft actually bought GitHub in the meantime, further restricting its rate limits. So I think yeah, it will take some time before we get to ten million tables, for example. But this yeah. is clearly our objective. So it's still running away today. It's still just chaining away in the background. It's currently paused. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I need to I need to resume the extraction pipeline. Mm-hmm. But there was some issue that we are now under. Like we're getting mainly the smaller CSV files out there out okay. on GitHub. Um, so I need to redo the segmentation uh, a little bit, and then we can continue because we also want to have like the larger tables. And although the average number of columns and rows is already way higher than the average number of uh, columns and rows in web tables, for example, so the mm. uh, web-based table corpora, um, it's already higher, but still there are many more files out in, in GitHub that are, are much larger than we now have. Yeah, on that, how... So what's the the frequency of which new tables enter uh, enter GitHub as well? Like, I guess that obviously that's growing over time as well. Are you kind of keeping up with that, or is it like I don't know how fast new new data has been has been kind of deposited in GitHub? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I think so many things on GitHub change mm. uh, every day. It's very hard to keep track of that. Um, <laughs> and we what we also need to do is figure out how we can get rid of duplication, for example. So mm, one thing mm. that GitHub does is that it doesn't return forks, which is good, but you still you still might have some like copies, you know, across different repositories. So that's something that we need to figure out. But yeah, that's for, for later uh, work, I guess. And now people just have to deduplicate themselves yeah. when they use Git tables. So this this whole pipeline from sort of the pars and the annotation, it's all it's all none of it's manual, right? You never have to go in and say like, okay, it's all it's all automatic. There's no how how did that go with like sort of working out? Okay, these first two lines are just text. We need to get rid of those. Like that must have been quite an, like an iterative process to sort of finally finish on something that just I can just let it run and it, it figure out all these edge cases because the state space is huge there. Yeah. yeah so um, we I went through this. Uh, iteratively, as you as you said, um, just checking out what the errors is, what kind of uh, files couldn't be parsed, and then adjust the the parsing configuration based on that, so that we could still maximize the number of CSV files that we could parse. Um, but yeah, eventually this is a fully automated pipeline, so it runs end to end automatically. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So- it was definitely an iterative process to to come to uh, a full pipeline that we were happy with. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Because, <laughs> I mean, people do some crazy stuff, right? <laughs> There's loads of mad stuff out there. Um, I've seen, yeah, uh, yeah it's, I mean, this has been quite a while ago, actually, that we first uh, published this data set. But it's, it's, I've seen very interesting uh, things, indeed. I just don't know how some people make CSV files or produce them. I, it's very hard. Um, but I'm yeah. So as I said, I, I'm just really glad that some people now also use this data set because we also publish the raw CSV files, and they actually use it to build better CSV parsers. And I think that's really nice because we need them desperately. 
And I was actually surprised that I couldn't find a parser that, you know, just could figure out the, the structure of these CSV files automatically. It's amazing to have that feedback loop. I mean, it's like the most rewarding thing when you're doing research, right? Is actually people go and use it. It's, it's the great, it's the, it's the best thing about it, right? It makes it all worthwhile. Um, Absolutely. For sure. yeah. um, just another quick question on the the annotation method you use and that, that, that kind of step of the pipeline. How computationally intensive is that? I think so. We really used uh, basic methods that were very fast. So we used, I think, fast text, which is an embedding model that's, well, very efficient. Um, so I don't think that takes up much time, to be honest. The main the main time-consuming thing is really extracting CSV files from GitHub through the API. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, is there a way you can kind of, I don't know, is it a pay per, if they have like a payment scheme where you can pay more and you can get a, a better rate or is it all just basically, this is, this is it, this is all you're getting and this is the rate or is the... I think actually that's a good point. I think enterprise users might have a more convenient rate limit, to be honest. But I mean, we're at the university, so yeah, I did it from my personal accounts, for example, with my, my personal token. So no enterprise budgets there. Yeah, no, you need somebody on the inside and get in GitHub so they can open up the open up the taps for you so you can get it all out faster. But yeah, I actually <laughs> asked this, but they said, well, we also need to if we want data from GitHub, we also need to go through the API. Oh, really? Oh, man, yeah. that's yeah, that sounds quite efficient. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's surprising. Um, cool. But I think that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Right. So, yeah, so you, you perform some analysis in, in uh, that you talk about in your paper, of, like what you found in, in kind of the V1 version of, of Git table, this, this 1 million tables. So kind of, yeah, what were your findings? The findings, well, first, I was surprised with the diversity of tables that I found. Indeed, as you said, there might be like school, C, like CSV files for school projects, but I found also many like database snapshots on, I don't know, NBA players or um, also much like more biological data and so on, medical data. So I was surprised by the diversity of the semantic coverage there. What I found that surprised me on the contents of of these tables is that despite we expected more numeric data, it is actually, I think, 58% is numeric. And that's something interesting, I think, for future work to create subsets of data based on, for example, the distribution of um, like atomic data types like numeric or string data, um, but also semantic distribution so that we have domain-specific data sets, for example. But that was something um, that I found very interesting. Still, it's, you know, the, the number of numeric columns is larger than we find on tables on the web. But um, yeah, this is this was an interesting finding. Um, as I mentioned, I think in the introduction, um, the top type that we found in tables was the ID type, which I think makes a lot of sense. But that was an interesting finding. Nice, nice. So, so yeah, you kind of you've also sort of taken this and then to demonstrate the utility and say like how how it's better than kind of stuff you can get off like web tables and whatever. You've you've used it in three applications. So can you can you tell us about these these applications and what they were and kind of what the additional value that Git tables um, delivered was? 
Yeah, so we, of course, built Git tables to address a need on semantic column type detection because people needed to retrain their classifiers and because the data wasn't representative and the types weren't relevant. So what we did is use Git tables for semantic type detection. And as you can see in the, in the paper as well, you can use Git tables very well to train a, a classifier for a, a given number of semantic types. And we compare it with Visnet. Visnet is a collection basically of all existing corpora. So tables from the web, tables from open data portals and, and whatnot. And what I found most interesting about this comparison is that we also trained a semantic type detection model on Visnet and then evaluated this on Git tables. And there you see that the performance really drops for, from 0.77 to 0.66. And I think this illustrated to me that indeed these all these existing corpora that we find out there don't really generalize to tables that you know we cannot easily find on, on the web. So there is a clear like data distribution gap between these existing corpora and Git tables. So I think th this was for me the, the most interesting takeaway from this experiment. Although we of course also show that you can use Git tables to you know, train a classifier from you know, training it on Git tables and evaluating it on Git tables as well. But I think this gap was very interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. That's fascinating. I mean, it, it, it just goes to show you that kind of there is, there was like some degree of sampling bias in the other, in the web tables, right? And this sort of like flattens out the distribution. There's less, it's not bias, right? It's not like data bias. I guess it maybe is biases. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure on the correct terminology. I know, the, I know there's sampling bias for sure. But um, but yeah, anyway, it's been a long time since I did statistics and, and machine learning and all those sorts of things. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I found also very different results across different sets, but I think what always remained constant is this gap in generalizability from models trained on Visnet to Git tables. So I think that really illustrates the complementary value of Git tables, and I think that's pretty cool. And that actually ties into the second application that we that we considered. Um, which is actually benchmarking. So I think Git tables, you can extract many subsets based on the application need that you have. So you might find very large tables in there. You might find smaller tables. You might find different like atomic data type distributions and just filter based on that. So that's what I'm involved in another project where we do that. Or you might filter down on domains, right? So, um, so I think that's cool. But we um, integrated Git tables in the semantic, in the SAMTAP challenge, with, which stands for semantic table to knowledge graph matching challenge, uh, where we try to, well, enhance knowledge graphs um, based on data found in tables. So this is a challenge that, that runs uh, at Icewick. And there we, we, we've been always using like tables from the web which more easily are linked to knowledge graphs. But what was very interesting, what we found there is that when you try to do this for Git tables, you don't have this one-on-one -on -one match between, for example, column cell values or cell values and you know, entities on, on uh, 
Wikidata or DBpedia or, or something like that. So I think what we what we saw there is that the performance of these like mat matching based tool uh, systems, uh, the performance really dropped tremendously uh, when we evaluated them on, on Git tables. And in the second year, actually, when we run the same competition with Git tables, we see that now the systems are actually more well, better able to generalize to uh, Git tables as well. So they don't lean as much on just matching strings to each other, uh, which is very straightforward and obvious um, for tables on the web. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like a kind of good contribution to the area. Like it's delivering a lot of value on so many different fronts. Like it, it I can see it being um, very popular for, for many, for many applications for many years to come. And I guess, kind of where do you go next with it now then and sort of addressing the existing limitations of it to kind of let it deliver more volume? Yeah, so I think for Git tables, what lies ahead for me is to just get all these CSV files, right? So we want to have a, an even larger corpus. So I think that's the main future work for Git tables, although I really invite people to contribute, for example, uh, or let me know if they have a better parser so that, you know, we can redo the parsing, for example. I think I'm interested in creating different subsets of of um, of Git tables. Also, you know, well, as we said, perhaps some domain-specific subsets. But I think there's many interesting uh, potential in the applications of Git tables. So, for example, you can think of a SQL recommendation given uh, certain tables, right? What What kind of analysis can you do on them? But I think on the data management side, I think you can also inform, for example, query optimizers if you know the semantics of these tables. So I think there are many applications to still explore. Um, and I think Git tables can be a useful resource to do so. Nice. Yeah. I guess once you've, once you've, I mean, here's a question for you. Do, do, do you have an estimated deadline? Say, like, say we resume the, um, the, the pipeline today. Do you know when you'll get them all? Like, is there like a, a, a future date where it's like, I'm going to have it? All? Assuming that you kind of are keeping it with a pace of new data coming in, obviously, like, but is it like, okay, I don't know, 2025, September the 6th, that's the date. Ah, okay. I think actually um, I'm a little bit delayed because we actually aim to have them already in 2023. I think okay. we won't make it with the current uh, rate limitations, but I expect, in, well, I hope to have at least another version of git tables much larger one in 2024 probably near the end yes nice that's that's the release date to look to, to look out for then <laughs> yeah, this cool. discussion is actually a great motivator to you know resume the pipeline and uh, get back to it yeah. get things going again awesome cool so i know you, this is obviously we it's obviously had a very big impact so far and there's people using it to kind of improve the csv parsers and 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 things like that so i mean kind of bigger picture kind of what more impact do you think your work can have you we touched on it a little bit but like and also kind of how can people in their day-to-day -day sort of working lives like leverage the things you found and, and use git tables yeah so i think actually across the entire analysis pipeline there are so many applications to explore because many of these tasks from you know data exploration uh, to data storage all the way to data analysis, data visualization, and so on, they all operate on tables. And I think that 
you know, so many tasks are part of this pipeline that can benefit from learned models over tables. So that's something that I am really trying to push a little bit um, to start exploring more applications across this pipeline. Uh, also organizing, by the way, uh, a workshop on this at NeurIPS uh, on table representation learning. And I think it's really interesting to see applications such as question answering. And um, I think that can also be very interesting to try out for Git tables. But yeah, I think there are just, there's just huge potential in, you know, trying different applications. And um, for example, data validation is another one that I'm really interested in. Um, so for example, can we, can we predict relevant data validation rules from the contents, right? So if we see different configurations of data validation pipelines for given data sources, then we might be able to infer reasonable rules for, for new data sources. So I think that's something that I'm interested in as well. And I think actually that would have would be one of the examples that have major um, impact in practice as well. And I think actually, I, you know, my research has been really driven by practice. So what actually drove me back into my PhD from being a data scientist is the feedback that I got from people in practice that were using semantic type detection models. And I think there's just much potential um, given that the, the entire data landscape is dominated by tables, right? So I think there's just, you know, so many practical applications possible if, if we use this data source, right? I mean, I, I think it's, it's nice as well that you kind of, you've been out kind of out there in the wild and industry and seen there's a need for it. And then like, okay, I'm going to come and address this. And I think that when you've got that sort of bigger picture view, it makes sort of the day-to-day -day grind of the PhD so much more sort of, I don't know, tolerable in a way, because like, you know, I'm working towards something that's going to be of use to people, right? Um, Absolutely. Um, it's yeah. a great motivator. And um, it was really helpful to have done already a little bit of research before I started uh, to inform my proposal, basically, for my PhD research. I think that's that's been really a good decision there. Yeah, awesome. How, as a user, how do I go about kind of using Git tables? And like, is it like, a, is it like, where's it hosted? How can I go and get the data, basically? So we currently uh, host this data set on Zenodo. And they will make sure that this data persists over time. Uh, it's publicly accessible. It's they have an API. I'm not sure how stable it is, but it should work. be very easy to, to get this data out of Zenodo, actually. We publish it in subsets. So as I expressed, we have these like topics that we use to query GitHub. And we publish the tables per query topic, let's say. You can nice. find it. I, I'm not sure. So there's some code, but there is also a website like gittables.github.io. And from there, you can basically find the paper, uh, some analysis, some documentation, but also the, the links to the data set. Awesome. We'll be, be, be sure to, to link that in the show notes as well. So the, the interested listener can go and, can go and find it and, and have a play around with it. Cool. Perfect. Um, yeah, so I kind of on this journey you've been on with um, with Git tables, and what's probably the most interesting thing you've you've learned while working on it? I think what was interesting to me uh, was the range of applications that we could serve. So I really started with the intention or the purpose 
of using this data set for semantic type detection for table understanding, right? But along the way and during my the rest of my PhD, I figured that there are so many other applications that can be fueled by Git tables and, and their models over Git tables. And I think that was one of the key lessons, right? So I, I got really much visibility to all the application potential. For example, the CSV parsing um, project, which I think really opened my eyes, right? So I think that was pretty cool. Awesome, yeah. And I, I, want, I want some war stories off you now. Then. So I, I kind of across this, again, across this journey, like what were the things that you tried that failed? What were the dead ends? What can you kind of, I don't know, can, to avoid people going down the same, maybe the same kind of wrong path maybe where, yeah kind of what yeah what were the war stories yeah that's a that's a great question so um i think it's so this project i think lasted over seven to eight months in total and during that first month i think two the first two weeks i already discovered the great value of github after a week long thinking like okay where can we find relevant data uh, and then I started exploring different data sources. And then I found, okay, we can actually use GitHub. It's like this, this pot of gold sitting there. Um, but instead of starting to extract all of these tables, we first explored the direction of trying to replicate the semantics in these tables with data from Wikidata. And that's, of course, <laughs> a very, I mean, it made sense back then. Okay, like, let's synthesize tables based that look like tables from, from GitHub, but aren't. It, it made sense back, the, back in the days. But now I think like, okay, that was like a completely dead thought. And it, that took actually the most, most of the time of this project, trying to figure out how we can replicate the tables that we found uh, on GitHub. One way why we did this is because if you try to synthesize these tables, you have the, the ground truth metadata. Mm -hmm. So we then could use the, the kind of structure that we had in Wikidata, for example, to make sure that we know that all the data that we would then put in like cell values, for example, actually resembled or like were associated with the types and now we just annotated the tables that we extracted from CSV files on GitHub, which is a bit more noisy. But yeah, that, that was why we actually took that other direction as well. So, so of that seven, uh, seven to eight month sort of journey, like, how far through was this? You said, like, does the lion share the time before you changed, basically? Yeah, I think. Wow. I cannot really remember the exact time spent on that alternative direction. But I think like a couple of months, probably two to three, maybe four months that I spent on that and then started extracting all these tables. Yeah. It's always hard right, when you've kind of gone so far down so you've spent so much time, you kind of just want to kind of force that thing to work. But sometimes you just got to roll it back, right? And say, okay, let's go in a different direction. But yeah, it's, it's hard, to, hard to do that sometimes um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. So obviously you do a lot of other things other than just this Git table. So can you maybe tell the listener a little bit more about the other research you're working on and other things you've got going on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm generally interested in learning from tables. And of course, now I've been focusing on table understanding. So for example, semantic type detection. Uh, one 
well, low-hanging fruit project that we had there, but was actually driven also from feedback uh, from industry was, okay, how can we adapt these models to custom types? So for example, if we want to have uh, semantic type detection in Power BI, for example, or Excel, um, then how can we allow users of these tools to add their custom types? So that's something that I'm working on now, um, but that's like, I said low-hanging fruit, although very impactful in practice. Another project is, you know, more analysis focused. So in the meantime, we've seen quite some pre-trained models over tables. Um, so really representation learning for, for tables, for example, for question answering. And it is still very unknown how these models actually work. And I think that's generally the case with many of these like representation learning models or generative AI. And I think that's that's something that um, is worth exploring as well. So that's what I'm working on as well. And then going forward, I think I will first finish my PhD, hopefully this year. <laughs> and um, then I'm very keen on exploring more, you know, more applications of table representation learning. Fantastic. Yeah, the explainable AI sort of stuff is, is fascinating, right? I mean, it reminds me of a, a book I read a while back, the Weapons of Math Destruction book, which I guess is sort of kind of a little bit in that sort of area, but kind of, I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a really good read if you're interested. It's, I'd oh, recommend thanks. it. I will. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's interesting. Yeah, it just tackles the whole sort of, like, a lot of it's fairness and then explainable AI, but yeah, it's kind of working out what these black box models are actually doing and being able to kind of give a reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, but yeah, no, so you're going to finish the PhD and kind of what's next after that? Are you, you going to stick around in research or it back to industry or hybrid role? I don't know. Yeah. What, what's the dream? When I started the PhD, I thought, okay, I will become a research scientist in industry, but actually I will probably stay in, around in academia. So you will hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That's great yes. stuff. <laughs> yes. I think, so um, I think there's just, such a potential of representation learning, machine learning over tables um, in in this whole you know analysis pipeline, for example, mm. that mm. it's too early to quit. Yeah, fantastic, cool. And I, I kind of guess kind of going on to this then. So th this next question, by the way, is my favorite question. I love hearing people's answers to this question. So it's kind of all about your creative process and how you go about generating ideas and then selecting what things to work on. And then obviously maybe as well knowing when to pull back from an idea like you did with obviously this project. But yeah, tell me all about that. Like how do you approach this problem? That's interesting. Yeah, so I don't really have a structured approach to generating ideas. I just take time to think. So I really, so what motivates me for research? I love to think and solve problems, find the important questions, yeah, to answer. So I think I do have some kind of prioritization approach, um, which comes down to, okay, what makes, what is impactful in practice? What do people really need, right? I think there's a societal aspect to that as well. And I just, yeah, so that's also, you know, how I use the feedback that I get from from people using the, the products that I build in, in practice. And I use that feedback to, kind of inform me on on the interesting or the, the the hardest challenges that they have. So that's that's something that um, inspires me. And then 
I think, yeah, I just take a lot of time to think um, of how to to address a, a certain idea because, of course, so I started my PhD on the idea, okay, we need data sets. Um, so I was very sure of that. But then, yeah, just taking the time to think really well through what, you know, what the proper data source would be and so on, I think that's worth thinking uh, about very well. Yeah, nice. So, so I, was, like, I think I really like the, the like having thinking about what impact can it have? What problem am I going to solve for somebody? And having that as kind of a key cornerstone of your thinking is, yeah, is, is I really like that angle of it. Um, cool. That's great. So another, another answer to that question. I, I love that. I love, I've, got, I've got, got a massive collection of them all. It's great to hear about kind of what, how everyone, everyone's different. Everyone has a different answer to that question. Well, yeah, so it's it's time for the last word now. So um, what's the, the one takeaway um, you want the listener to get from this podcast today? I hope that people understand the potential impact of learning over tables because databases and the whole data landscape is really dominated by tables and we should stop learning about images and videos, even plain text maybe, and start learning over tables. Fantastic. Well, let's end it there. Thanks so much, Madeline, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank if- you, Jack. If the if the listeners interested interested to know more about Madeline's work, we'll put the links to everything in the show notes so you can go and find those. And again, if you do enjoy the show, please do consider supporting us through Buy Me a Coffee. And we'll see you all next time for some more awesome computer science research.